Welcome to the Habits and Hustle podcast, a podcast that uncovers the rituals, unspoken habits, and mindsets of extraordinary people. A podcast powered by Habit Nest. Now here's your host, Jennifer Cohen. Thank you very much for being on the podcast. I know you're really busy and you've been doing a ton of uh, press and media and you obviously have your own stuff. So um, I'm really grateful. So thank you so much. Of course. No, I'm grateful for helping share my work with your audience. So thank you for the opportunity. I'm, I'm really looking forward to this. You know, what's amazing to me. I mean, I can't, you've only been doing this for what, four years, like seriously, right? Like after you finished with um, your whole experience with being a monk and then going into um, the corporate world, but you've actually done what you're doing now with, uh, I guess you're just, you're merging entertainment with wisdom in an exceptional way. That's obviously resonating with, with everybody. I mean, I mean, you're like a phenomenon at this point. Um, no, it's true. It's amazing. I mean, did you ever, did you ever think when you started this process that this was, did you know this was your Dharma or your purpose? at a younger, at, at a different time before. And I want to ask you, what really is it? Is it purpose and, and, um, and uh, passion? Is that really what it is? But this, that's, a great that's a great conversation starter and a great question. And, and I'd, I want to start off by sharing, yeah, I've been doing this online for the last four years, but I feel like I've been in this space of creating, sharing, synthesizing, studying, speaking, for at least the last 15 years of my life. So before I ever took any of this online, I was sharing it offline before there were any right. followers or any views or any uh, money or podcasts or downloads. There was none of that. It was just, I literally was doing events in London when I started university. And after I met the monk, when I went back, I started a society called Think Out Loud. And I would speak every single week. I would take a movie from Hollywood and I would analyze it from a psychological, spiritual, and scientific background. And every week students would come and hear me speak. And in the beginning, we'd get like five or 10 students. And by the time I finished university, there were about 100 students coming every week. And even up until the point I started making online content, I used to do an event in London in the city where like five to 10 people would turn up every week. And I would just speak and share these insights because I really wanted to pass them along. And so what has happened online has completely blown my mind. It's been more than I could ever have imagined or dreamed of. Uh, I feel grateful, humbled, and blessed every day. And it is exactly what you said. I feel like my passion is reading and studying wisdom and trying to find the best ways to extrapolate the essence and share them in a way that people feel entertained, educated, engaged, and enlivened. That's my passion. And it becomes a purpose because I'm trying to do it in a way that elevates people's lives and can help people and can move them to the place where they want to be internally. And so that's where it becomes my purpose and hence my dharma, as you right to put, rightly pointed out. And that's exactly how it feels. It's amazing. I mean, I don't think there's anybody currently that um, has a voice as strong and as powerful or as positive as you. You know, it's funny. I've been doing this podcast not not, not that long, a year and a half, right? And I've had some pretty um, amazing and very uh, impressive guests. 
And I'll tell you something like I, when I was telling people, oh yeah, I'm having, you know, you come on Jason, my sister, for example, in Canada, I'm Canadian. She doesn't care about this one, that one or the other one, but she was like, oh my God, I love him. <laughs> like everybody's like, I, because I think that it, it like you are, have such a positive essence as well. And what you put out there, I think it, it really does. Like it really helps like what your what you are, what your purpose is. I feel it is to kind of spread positivity and, that is, I mean, and it really does resonate with people, young, old, boy, girl, it doesn't matter. And I think especially now when people are so much in a mired in stress and anxiety and this pandemic and COVID, I mean, it's a really, I think that's probably why I think when people get your book, Think Like a Monk, which I loved, um, I think people will find it like it's a, it becomes like it's like a how-to manual and how to really really kind of not just deal with, you know, 2020, but as, uh, but life as well. I mean, if you can go, you can kind of like go through this book and then like put it down and like kind of go back to it later on because it really does. Like there's like, it's life lessons. Absolutely. What, what's your sister's name, Jennifer? Maureen. Maureen. Okay. Hello. I'm going to love that. <laughs> Thank you for all your excitement. But yeah, I, I described the book as being, you know, being a monk for three years was like going to monk school. Yeah. The last seven years since I left have been like the exam. And so think like a monk's like the guidebook. It's it's like the the the, the exam yeah. of everything I learned as a monk in three years and have tried to apply in the last seven years. That's really what it is. It's like my notes of experimenting, trying, testing in the real world, in the world me and you live in, in the right. world of having to find my passion, take care of my family, in the world of dealing with pressure and stress, in the world of creating something you care about, in the world and how to actually do that in a way where you feel you feel comfortable navigating and making decisions. That's really what it was about. And the goal's always been to spread the wisdom out far and wide because I grew up as someone who was skeptical, who was not necessarily inclined to monk life or wisdom or meditation and wasn't really drawn to any of that. And I want to speak to that person. I, I want to connect with that person who's sitting there, who feels they have nothing to do with this, but actually has a moment that realizes that this is the essence of everything I've been looking for that can help me reconnect with what's truly meaningful to me. So what made you decide to even go to monk school? Like you were 19, 18, right? Yeah. And you're like, hey, you know what? I, I just want to like go and be celibate and just live and be quiet in an ashram. Like that's not what a normal 18-year-old kid thinks of, right? Yeah. So I didn't do it till 21, uh, but oh. I met the monk when I was 18 for the first oh. time. And so when I met him, it was almost like meeting someone that you feel inspired by that becomes your new role model. And so imagine the first time you met someone, you were like, or you, you heard from someone and you were like, yeah, yeah, that's what I want to be. And so for me, when I look at my time at 18, I'd met people who were rich. I'd met people who were famous. I'd met people who were, or I'd heard from people that were successful and beautiful and attractive. But when I heard the monks speak about service and about using our gifts to help others and about mastering the mind and overcoming ego, something in my heart just gravitated towards that. And I was like, no, that's it. Like this guy knows what he's talking about. He's got it. He's, he's got what 
everyone else isn't even referring to or mentioning. And I almost got so drawn to him that I was like, that's what I want to dedicate my life to. So I spent my summer vacations and Christmas vacations having small stints in India. And then when I was 21, that's when I decided that I actually wanted to go off and be a monk. And that decision was actually very easy because for all the years leading up to it, I had experimented with working in financial companies in London, wearing suits, going to work every day, trying to perform, making money. And then I'd experimented with visiting the ashram in India. And after three years of doing that on small stints, it became really clear to me that the life I wanted was of self-mastery and service. And, and that's why it was so easy to make that decision. Wow. You know, you... I- I, I love that because, you know, what I wanted to actually was going to begin with was with the identity piece, right? Because I think people really get stuck with this, especially, you know, how I grew up sounds like how you grew up too. I grew up Jewish and, you know, it's kind of part of our culture to be at, go to, go to school, get an education, be a doctor or a lawyer. Um, and it's really, really easy to kind of fall prey to what social, like what society tells you what to do. And you open up that uh, chapter with an amazing quote, which I it totally resonated with me about like, you are who I'm going to screw it up, but like <laughs> something like, you know, like I am not what I think I am. Well, you can do it. You tell us. And, and I want, I want to talk about that, about how do we um, not let ourselves uh, pray victim or become victim to what society or other people uh, perceive to be our path and really kind of find who we really are and, live authentic, like authentically really to who we are. Yeah. So a writer in the 1900s named Cooley, he shared a thought that has become the most central, my favorite thought in the world that really defines what it means to think like a monk, to go beyond this mindset. So thinking like a monk means not doing this statement. And he said, today, the challenge is, I'm not what I think I am. I'm not what you think I am. I am what I think you think (laughs) I am. And it blows my mind every time I say it, no matter how many times I say it. And what he's saying for anyone who, you know, it's, it's hard to capture straight away. What he's saying is that we live in a perception of a perception of ourselves. So if I think Jennifer thinks I'm smart, then I feel smart. But if I think Jennifer thinks that I'm weak, then I feel weak. And so we base how we feel about ourselves on how we think others think about us, which is a really dangerous way to live because then you start pursuing things because you think people will think that makes you successful. Or then you start wanting to get things in your life because you think people will think that that will make you happy. And so we start living our life in what Cooley calls the looking glass self this phenomena. And breaking this is what it means to think like a monk. Thinking like a monk means stripping away all expectations, pushing aside all obligations, removing all judgment of all opinions, and living a life that's truest to yourself. And that's almost what we're all seeking for, because so many of us get to 40 years old, and we say to ourselves, well, I've been I don't even know why I do this career. Like, I don't even know why I'm doing it. Or some of you may be 20 years old and saying, well, why am I studying this at college? I don't even care about it. 
And some of you may have gone all the way and thought, you know, I never even wanted to have kids or I never even wanted to start my own business or I never even wanted to have this degree or whatever it is. And you almost get to a point in life where you're like, why do I, why am I even doing what I'm doing? And so if you've ever had that feeling before, that's what this quote is speaking about. And that develops because we take the expectations, obligations, and opinions of the people around us so seriously, and they become our guiding light. But Jennifer, before, sorry, before, I just want to extend that thought a little bit for you. Yeah. Listening, that there's two mistakes we make. One mistake is we listen to everyone. The other mistake is we listen to no one. <laughs> both of these can be unhealthy ways of living. So if you listen to anyone and everyone, that's unhealthy because, I mean, not everyone and anyone cares, not everyone and anyone knows, not everyone and anyone has competence on what you're trying to do. But the idea that you don't have to listen to anyone also doesn't make sense because that's dangerous because then that means you have no moral compass, you have no checking system, you have no way of knowing you have good values. And so what I've recommended to people and what I've done in my own life is I almost create a group, a council in different areas of my life of people with different expertise who do different things for me. So I have my monk mentors who keep me aligned, keep me accountable, make me aware of my mistakes and potential pitfalls. They're very honest with me and they can you know, tell me them going a bit too far. Then I have my business mentors and entrepreneur mentors, people who guide me from a perspective of my work that I'm doing on a daily basis. And then I'll have other people for my health. And so in our lives, we can build up these group of experts that can help us with the right insight for different areas mm. of our lives. I like that. So how do we get how do we get the strength though to kind of follow that path when we kind of know that it's not the right one? Because I feel like sometimes information can is is you can become um, stunted, right? Because it doesn't mean that you're going to do anything with it. Information is only as, as good as it is unless you execute on it, right? Yeah. So how do you do that? That's really, I think, where people get really stuck. Well, I think the first thing is that you don't need to do anything drastic like quit your job or break up with someone straight away. <laughs> you know, it's not like you have to do something drastic. You can actually stay in the position you're in right now, but start to experiment and explore new ideas and your curiosities. And I think as kids, we did that, but we forget that as adults, we can still do that. We feel like with every year that we've almost lost some freedom or lost an opportunity, but that's all in our head, right? You haven't lost it. You still have the opportunity to explore, experience, experiment. And those are the three E's that I recommend to everyone is stay where you are, don't drastically change anything. Don't break anything. Don't move anything. Don't ruin anything. Just allow yourself to experiment, explore, and experience new things, which may awaken you to something you're curious about, something you're interested in. It may come from a book, book you read. It may come from a course you do online. It may come from a weekend away you went on with some friends, but it's going to come from somewhere unexpected. And right. so I often ask people, Who's the monk in your life? And what I mean by that is you're not going to meet a monk. You may meet someone else. But what a monk represents for me is meeting someone unexpected. And my question to everyone listening and watching, to, watching now or listening now is, who have you not met yet that is going to change your life? And that could be a book. It could be a podcast like this where Jennifer's interviewing someone and that person resonates with you. It could be 
uh, an interview with someone that you're inspired by. It could be an autobiography, a biography. It could be a course, whatever it is. The point is, who is it that you have not met yet that helps you truly understand yourself? Because that, no, I like that. And I love the idea of having a mentor or a guide for different areas of your life. Because I think people don't ever think like that, especially, you know, you get very one dimensional and very myopic. You know, you're like, I need a business mentor. That's what I need. I need to like have someone who's really successful and then I can like, I can learn from them. But to, I think to have a, a real uh, holistic or full picture of a life, you need to kind of seek out people in lots of different areas to kind of, you know, guide you a lot of times, right? Yes. Yeah. Um, who got, so who guides you? Like, who do you kind of go to? Like, who are some of your mentors? Yeah. So spiritually, my mentors have always been right. teaching since no. I met when I was 18. And so every year, my wife and I go back to India for about sometimes two weeks to a month. And we live with the monks again. And my mm -hmm. wife will come with me and we'll go and meditate in the ashram again and wake up really early again. And we'll go and practice the same things I practice living as a monk. And I do that every And she day. can go with you? Your wife's allowed yeah. to go? Yeah, my wife's allowed to go with me. Uh, and, and we both just completely oh. disconnect, put our phones away and just allow ourselves to re-immerse into that experience. I hope we get to go next year. We went this year in January and it's been part of our you know, yearly routine since we got married uh, four years ago. And it's been really powerful. So that's where I, I go back to living with the monks to reground myself, to reroute myself, to get realigned with what I'm really trying to do at the core. And, and I feel really nourished when I come out of that. And so that's really what I do from that perspective, from an internal mental, spiritual perspective. And then when it comes to life and work, I've really been fortunate and I do recommend this to everyone. I truly believe you can be mentored by people you've never met. And, and this is something that we often don't realize. Like you were saying, we, everyone wants to have, you know, everyone wants to have Elon Musk be their mentor, right? Everyone wants to have like, you know, you want like Oprah to be this. And, you know, it's like you're looking at that. But actually, and I can honestly vouch for this, especially in my journey up until this point, I was mostly mentored by Steve Jobs' biography, uh, the books of Martin Luther King, uh, the biography of Einstein. Like I personally have been mentored by people I've never met. I never met Steve Jobs. Uh, I never met Martin Luther King or Einstein, obviously. And for me, reading about them, reading about how they made decisions, reading about how they made choices, reading about how they thought about why he thought about creating iTunes or the iPhone or why they experimented. Like to me, that's where I get so much understanding is not how did someone become successful, but how did that person make decisions and choices and, and why did someone do what they did? And so for me, I find books being a phenomenal resource to be mentored. And I hope that helps everyone listening today because I don't want to sit here and point out someone that I go to for advice now because now I may be able to have access. I'm talking about what I did when, when I had zero access or zero connection with people. And that's, that's what I use. Uh, I also find the same with people I've never interviewed. So with my podcast on purpose, I've sat down with some incredible minds uh, that I love to tap into, but there are people on my podcast. There are people who've never been on my podcast, but I've been mentored by them because I've watched every <laughs> interview they've ever done. And I've analyzed it time and time again. And I'm just, my, you know, I'm just, uh, you know, find their mindset so magnificent. Like I'm, I'm magnetically attracted to their mindset. So that's what I do from a life business perspective, mostly is seek it out. I also had a, 
uh, mentor when I joined the corporate world, Accenture, the company yeah. that I worked for, which was a great experience for me, they were really building their digital and social media part of their company when I was there in 2013. And they had hired a gentleman named Thomas Power, who I'd got introduced to and he became my mentor. And even though he was training me about digital and social media, I always think that he trained me far more about mindset. He would always say things to me like, Jay, you know, you're, you're, you're this or you're that. Like, you know, you could do this or you could do that. And I'd always be like to him, no, 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 I'm none of those things. I'm none of those things. And he'd always repeat the words of Napoleon Hill in, uh, you know, you become what you think about. And he'd always say that to me. And he'd keep saying that to me. You become what you think about. And he'd say it to me every time I met him. And he'd say, you know, Napoleon Hill, you become what you think about. And, and that genuinely, it sounds really basic. But every time I heard it from him, it transformed my life. And so I credit him for a lot of uh, the, the, the fearless decisions I made as well. So there are a few examples of both people. And this is actually a concept from my monk training where there are two types of mentorship. They're known as Vani and Vapu. So V-A-N-I and V-A-P-U. Vani is mentorship, which is advice-based and hearing and learning, but not with physical presence. And Vapu is mentorship of physical presence. And the same teaching exists in the monk text that we can be mentored by the sages and saints that we've never met because their Vani, their instruction, is as powerful as being in their presence. And, and so I feel that way. At one point in my life, I listened to Steve Jobs' commencement speech at Stanford yeah. every day for 90 days. Like literally, I, I knew the whole speech off by heart. But more importantly than that, I felt the speech in my heart. And I can honestly, that speech has, has moved me in really tough times. No, I love that you say that because I think that's so true. Like sometimes you 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 uh, glean, the great, the, glean the greatest advice from people that aren't necessarily the most famous or even, uh, and, and I'm not, not talking about the Steve Jobs commencement speech, obviously, but overall what you were saying um, by the guy that was working with you at Accenture. Because I think you can, if, if people are um, open and, and are, uh, their hearts are open, their, the, the bra their brains are open of receiving information. You can get a lot of great and valuable information from anybody, really, and life lessons from anybody. Yeah. Um, more often than not, you really, you really want to be finding someone who's just a couple of steps ahead mm -hmm. rather than trying to get life or business or any advice from someone who's like 50 years ahead uh, because that person's in a different mind space. And so, so sometimes having someone... You can have someone that inspires you in it and makes it an aspirational direction, but sometimes the people around you who are just a couple of steps ahead, they can be sometimes the most powerful guides in our lives. No, absolutely. I, I, I totally agree with you. And so, um, and I think that's, that's so true. I mean, the people that are so much more ahead, they're, you're, they're, there's too much space between you and someone like an Elon, not you, but you know, they're, they're, they're striving for Elon, but really, you know, uh, Joe Smith, down, you know, who is right there with you, who's kind of, you know, it, it could be your best, your, your best mentor advocate that you can have, right? Absolutely. So, Absolutely. I can, I'm sure you get like, I'm sure you can, you get hit up all the time now, probably to be, you, people want you to mentor them. And it's like a whole thing, but you have a program, don't you? The genius program or the coaching yeah. program? Yeah. Well, yeah. We really reflected on, and this was very early on. I was really reflecting on like, how do I extend myself to more people, but also 
not make it just about the value that I can offer as an individual. And so mm-hmm. I looked at transformation for many years from the monk uh, life to the corporate world and through to now. And when I was working with coaching clients or privately with people, which I did very often more so before, and I was realizing that everyone needs three things to transform. And I call it the three C's and it's coaching, consistency, and community. And we need to create a culture in the world of coaching consistency and community to help people transform. So in 2018 of January, we launched my genius community, which is my genius coaching community program, where we have thousands of people all across the world that not only come every single week for meditations, for amazing content, for workshops and lessons, but what we've created is a space where people are helping each other. So someone can come inside our community and say, hey, I'm struggling with this today. And they'll have 10 or 12 people, maybe more, respond to them and guide them in the right direction. And that's almost what we're all looking for is a family beyond our biological family that is part of our growth family and part of our growth journey. And so for me, we did that. We also created this year, we launched my uh, certification school. So we have a fully accredited certified life coaching school where people can become life coaches through our 120-hour program. And we found that, again, giving people the tools to not only become coaches as a career, but to actually go deeper into their self-awareness, become better listeners of people around them was actually the skill that people were gaining. So, yeah, it led to me realizing that I couldn't multiply myself and not only that I couldn't multiply myself, also realizing that I wasn't the only person that people needed to connect to. People needed to connect to each other and there were plenty more leaders in the world that could offer what I don't offer and can speak to people that I don't connect with. And I think that's something I'm very cognizant of is that we need more conscious leaders in the world doing amazing work in their voice, in their tone, in their culture, because uh, not everyone's going to connect with one person, whoever that one person may be. Right. You meant, you just said something that I, I just, um, I'm just, I just caught to is that the self-awareness piece, you said to be self-awareness, you talk about self-awareness a lot in the book. Um, and you know, in life, it's like, I feel like, and you obviously are in agreement that that's something of, that's an integral piece of really, uh, of everything, right. Knowing who you, who you are for your identity, um, and kind of figuring out your strengths, right? How does, like, how do you feel this? How do people become more self aware when they're not naturally inclined to be able to see that or do that? Yeah, there's a beautiful verse in the Bhagavad Gita that I share in the book that says, It's better to live your own life imperfectly than to try to follow yeah. someone else's path perfectly. And I think a lot of us sometimes get lost in that second part of we try again to imitate or create what we see someone else doing rather than realizing our own strengths. And the best thought to sum it up comes from Einstein of, you know, everyone's a genius. Uh, Why we call genius community. Everyone's a genius. Everyone's a genius, but if you judge your, you know, if you judge a fish by its ability to climb climb a tree, it will spend its whole life believing that it's stupid. And when Einstein said that, you know, I, I think of that thought and I think, man, you know, we're like birds trying to be lions. We're lions trying to be giraffes. We're giraffes trying to be zebras. We're zebras. Sorry, everyone in England, zebras. <laughs> I've been learning too much. Yeah. We're zebras yeah. 
trying to be fish where fish trying to be deer like imagine a imagine a lion wanted to be a bird the bird would be like and the bird wants to be a lion it makes no sense like birds can fly lions can't lions right. can roar and and you know create a king of the jungle i guess birds are not but they both have their own <laughs> strengths they both have their own strengths and superpowers and so not recognizing your own strengths and superpowers is the biggest mistake you can make if you look at superheroes in marvel movies they all have their unique origin story and their unique strength and their own unique unique superpower and that's what makes them an amazing team not that they can all do the same thing like imagine if every character had the blades wolverine had how interesting would that movie be right it would be the most boring thing of all time or you know if every character could like laser from their eyes you'd be like oh how boring is this and and that's the amazing thing that each and every one of us have a superpower and the way we discover it first starts with really basic questions when you do an activity ask yourself did i like that yes or no after that ask what did i like about it and third question is why did i like it or not like it if you start doing that after every small activity you will learn so much more about yourself because how do you get self awareness by knowing yourself how do you get to know yourself by spending time with yourself What's the best way of spending time with yourself? Asking yourself questions. You only learn about someone when you ask them. Like you're asking me questions today, Jennifer. That's why you're learning about me. And if I don't ask you questions back, I don't learn about you. And so, asking questions to yourself. And so, when you watch a movie, ask yourself: Did I like it or not? Yes or no? What did I like about it? Break down the plot, the structure, the character, the acting. What did you like about it? Third question: Why did you like it? Why did you? Right. Like it? And when you do that with every activity, just take that 3 second, 3 question check, you'll find that your self-awareness goes through the roof. Now at a deeper level, self-awareness is only growing when you're exposing yourself to more ideas. So you may say to yourself, "Oh, I'm I'm not a good writer," but you've never tried to write. You've never been on a writing course. You've never been exposed to. It. You may say, "I'm not a good director," but you've never tried to direct. So if you've never tried if you've never been educated and that's the key question it's not just have you tried it's have you been coached have you been guided and you know people i i was so i just to give a personal example i was so shy growing up and my parents forced me to go to an extracurricular activity at school which happened to be public speaking and i was forced at the age of 11 until the age of 18 to go to public speaking school as an extracurricular and we practiced it for 3 hours a day 3 days a week was the class it's a 9 hours a day from 9 hours a week sorry from 11 to 18 i was i was practicing public speaking and so today i i don't feel uh i i'm confident to walk on stage and give speeches etc but it's like it it took like 7 years of full time training and I, i think we missed that that it's not just have you tried it's have you been coached and guided and educated Right because I think anything in life you can get it's all about practice and consistency right so if anything that people think that things just naturally come to it's not it's not talent is what my it's a lot of its work ethic and people don't like to see what goes be you know when someone is out there doing exceptionally or someone's super successful and they have like a a lot of money and other companies are getting sold they don't see what goes on behind the hood how many other the the resilience that it sometimes it takes the trials the consistency the practice you know like michael jordan he would practice you know, what with 
five hours, eight hours every single day, even when he was amazing at it. Um, and so I think that if people just put people like actually are more self-aware and realistic what it takes to become good at something and put that effort in, it would be, you know, it would make a big difference, basically. Yeah, couldn't agree more. More from our guest, but first a few words from our sponsor. Get ready to exceed your 2021 sales goals with the help of LinkedIn Sales Navigator. LinkedIn Sales Navigator is the best version of LinkedIn for sales. You get to tap into the power of LinkedIn's 700 million plus member network. Plus, you get 20 monthly in-mail messages, lead recommendations, unlimited searches, and actionable insights. You target the right prospects and decision makers. And guys, as the world adapts to these new working habits, sellers must also shift tactics to stay ahead. And LinkedIn Sales Navigator is here to really up your game. Start your 60-day free trial of LinkedIn Sales Navigator today by going to linkedin.com slash habits. That's linkedin.com slash habits to start your 60-day free trial of LinkedIn Sales Navigator. LinkedIn.com slash habits. Let's talk about like how your experience at the as a monk and your practices, how people can really try uh, training their their mind because their mind can 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 be your best asset or your worst asset depending on what how it is. And you talk a lot about like detachment from your like how your thoughts are not you, your mind is not you. Can we talk a little bit about that and what your learnings from being a monk were and, and what people can kind of practical ways people can start training their their minds, their brains? Yeah, for sure. And I, I love, you know, the name of your podcast being Habits and Hustle. Like I think, you know, those are two such important things that work together. And and just to go back to what you were saying as we go in to talk about the habits. It's, Thank you, by the way. It's always both. It's always both. Like you can't just have deep habits and practices and not hustle. And you can't just have hustle and not deep habits and practices. And it is both. And I, I love that even more so because I talk a lot about how we have to embrace polarities. So people are always asking like, what's the one thing? Like, you know, or what's the one quality I need? And it's actually usually two. Like it's, I believe in strategy and spirituality. I believe in affection and being assertive. I believe in being compassionate and passionate. Like, you know, it's it's never one or the other. It's like you need both if you if if you want to be happy and successful, you need both. Because one gets you success and one gets you happiness. And both those things often get confused. So I look at when I look at habits and hustle, I'm like habits will make you happy. And of course, we'll bring success, but hustle is more likely to bring you success. And so if you want both, if you're looking for a happy life and a successful life, you'll need both. But some of the mindset things that you are referring to there, uh, the Bhagavad Gita said this 5,000 years ago, the mind can be your best friend or your worst enemy, meaning that you are either directing, guiding, and training your mind, or the mind is guiding and training you. Right. <laughs> some of us feel we're just following what the mind is telling us to do. And some of us realize that we're the one who are guiding the mind. And the way that works is that in the beginning, if you think about a thought and the way it's made, the first time you have a thought, it's like a bridge or a pathway made of sticks. 
The second time you have that same thought, that pathway gets made of stone. The third time you have that pathway, you're now adding metal, iron. Notice how that thought is getting stronger and stronger and stronger. The fourth time, it's a full scale bridge, right? It's like the full thing. So basically, every time you have a thought, every time you walk over a thought, you are strengthening that thought. That thought is not real or fake or anything else. It is just an idea. But every time you have that idea and you reaffirm that idea, it gets stronger and stronger and stronger. So for example, if every time you uh, spend money on something and it works for your business, you do it again and you do it again and you do it again and you create a thought that means this works for my business. Now the, the economy changes, things collapse, everything changes, but that habit has remained as like, oh no, but this is meant to work. And that's where we get stuck because we're still trying to cross that bridge, but there's a, there's a block sign on the other side where it's like, no, things have changed now. And that's what it means to not be attached to our thoughts or not believe that our thoughts are always right. And so you have to adapt, the, adapt your thought and build a new path and build a new bridge. And so the way you do that is first of all, by allowing yourself to realize what am I doing every day to bring the mind into being trained? And as monks, the mind is compared to a monkey, a monkey mind. <laughs> and so if you think about monkeys, and if you've never seen a monkey, when you see the monkeys in India, like where, when we lived as monks, I, we saw a lot of monkeys. And so you could observe this anal analogy really well. But monkeys are just jumping from branch to branch. They're not focusing on the root of the issue. The monk mind focuses on the root. So the first way of grounding the mind is saying, am I currently focusing on the superficial issues and the branches or am I focused on the root? Ask yourself that question. So a business issue comes up, as you were saying, entrepreneurs. Uh, there's someone on the team that I feel is causing issues. Is that really the issue? What's the root of that issue, right? Or someone's not performing well. Is it because, is it, what is it? Am I just upset that they're not supporting the team well or whatever? Or what's the root of the issue? Is the root of the issue something else? And so we waste so much time as entrepreneurs on the branches like monkeys do, whereas the root of the issue is what the monk mind does. So that's the first thing. The second thing that monkeys do is they, they go for the quick win. If you ever see a monkey, and I've literally seen monkeys do this in India, they will go for a banana then they'll see someone holding an apple, they'll drop the banana, run for the apple, then they'll see someone holding a credit card, they'll drop the apple and run for the credit card. The funny thing is, a monkey can do nothing with a credit card. Uh, <laughs> you know, a banana is meant to be the monkey's best friend. And so our mind can sometimes just keep going for that instant gratification, that quick win, that, you know, what's going to be that next thing? Absolutely. And whereas we know monks' minds are focused on what is my strategy? What is the value I'm offering? What am I really giving? So. Those are some quick ways of understanding how we can train the mind to be more focused on what we want it to be. Uh, yeah. No, I was going to say, though, first of all, that I love you say the monkey mind. I, I laugh because I think it's so true. And I feel like it's like people are always not everybody, but 
um, people follow the white, the, the shiny ball, right? And, you know, you end up like getting nothing. You, you never become really good at anything because you're just like, drop it. You're like a monkey. You drop the banana, you go for the apple, then you go for the credit card. It's so hard to like focus. So I guess really when I was talking to you about like, how do you train your mind? Yeah. Um, I guess my bigger, the, 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 the bigger root question is how do we really how do we really train ourselves to focus? What are some of the things like besides going to the ashram, which I believe after reading your book, I swear that everybody should spend at least six months there. <laughs> I really do. It's great training for everything. Um, but besi besides going there, uh, what, how, give us some tactical, practical things that we can, we can incorporate yeah. to really, you know, to, 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 to start that path of focus. Yeah, absolutely. I love that. So one of the main things, and I really mean this, and this is getting very practical and tactical, and I'm, I'm showing you something. That's why I'm bringing it up here. This is what my schedule looks like, right? So this is my diary. Where am I on there? Every season. You are yeah. <laughs> on number 12. You'll be the last thing on the 12, just before the last thing. Oh, okay. So bringing it up here. Here we go. Habits and Hustle podcast. You're like the thing I, ha I have to do because I made the commitment. No, I'm just joking. <laughs> it's here. And, and so what I, the reason why I showed you that, and as you can see, it's very organized and color coordinated and all the rest of it. Amazing. If, if something is not in your diary or in your plan or in your schedule, it's never going to happen. And so true. that includes lunch, it includes breakfast, it includes dinner, it includes rest, it includes, it includes golf, it includes tennis, it includes family time, whatever it is. If you don't keep a calendar and your calendar doesn't have everything on it and your schedule doesn't have everything on it, it is not ever going to happen. And I live by my calendar where my life becomes simple because all I have to do is look at what is next on my calendar. And of course, my calendar has been evolving and refined as I've got to know myself better and knowing what I need. So one of my things I don't negotiate with every day is that I eat breakfast, lunch, and dinner on time. I do not negotiate with it because I've spent too many weeks and years in my life missing meals and eating trash and not taking care of my health. And I just had to write that off and say, this, that, doesn't, that doesn't happen anymore. So focus is created when you actually have a plan the plan you stick to and the plan has every part of what you need in your life on that plan. And that is a really tactical and practical thing because too many people are trying to figure out what they're going to do on their day or they're still using an old school to-do list. And the problem with an old school to-do list is that it's not prioritized. It's not maximized for maximum effect. And ultimately, it's just a list of things you're trying to check off without any direction. Whereas when you sit down a week in advance, or so, so this is what I do. I sit down a week in advance and plan out my whole week. And then I sit down the night before and I look at the plan again. And I ask myself, am I hitting the priority? Am I doing what I really care about? And this is the number one question that helps me focus in life. What can I do today that will make me feel like today has been a success? Because sometimes you can check off everything off your to-do list and still feel completely empty and unaccomplished. And that's why focus is created by asking yourself, what is the one thing I can do today? And if I do that one thing, and by the way, that one thing could be everything I do, I'm going to do it with love and passion. That could be a one thing. And so right now I'm giving you my love and passion and I'm here and I'm present. That could be a one thing. Or your one thing could be, 
I'm going to read my children a bedtime story. Or your one thing could be, I'm going to thank one person today, or I'm going to reach out to one new potential client today. And that's the one thing that's going to make you feel happy and successful. So that creates focus. And ultimately, focus is created by care. If you care about something, you will focus. If you don't care about something deeply, you can't focus. And so focus is a great way of noticing whether you care or not. If you're watching a great TV show, a great movie, are you focused or not? You're focused because you're glued, you care. And if you're going, Jay, I do care about stuff, but I still can't focus on it. Then the question is, you haven't allowed yourself to truly embody care and compassion for what you're working on. Because when you do, you'll see how you change. And so for me, the calendar is one. The second is, you know, what makes you feel successful in that day. The third is this understanding of care. And a fourth really tactical one, which I want to see if I can show you. Let me just go grab it. Give me one sec, Jennifer. Yeah, go, go. I want to show it to you. Ah, here we go. So this is, oh, wait, let me come back before I get excited and start talking. So <laughs> this, is, this is until, this is uh, when all else fails. And I'm not joking. I really use this. When I get distracted at my desk, I keep this and it makes it fun because I like gamifying stuff. So when I get distracted, I do this and I allow myself to be distracted until this runs out. And then I get back to doing whatever I'm doing. So this is like my most daily use of tactical is just going to my desk. Uh, and this is what That's I That's a great idea. And what it does, it allows me to have a, it allows me to have a distraction and a break, um, but not to the point where I'm wasting so much time. And by the way, if I, if I get back to work quickly or I get bored, I'll just turn it back. Oh, I'll just turn it back over again. And so I find this to be a really fun tool uh, to use uh, to just help me manage my time on a daily basis with distraction. And if you don't That's have a great idea. timer, you can have a timer, which allows you three minutes to feel distracted. And I actually started building in distraction time. So every hour I scheduled in five minutes where I just have space to go on my phone, to do whatever, so that when I'm with you, I'm present. Because if I go from you to another meeting and another meeting before, then I might be wondering, well, what's on my phone? What's the email situation? Whereas if I have five minutes between meetings, I'm planning in my distraction. That's a great idea to have a timer or some, what is that thing called, by the way? Not a timer, but it's called like hourglass. Yeah. That's a great idea. Yeah, it's fun. I like, I like gamifying stuff because I, I like gamifying. The other way I gamify focus is, uh, I, at one point I used to have a, uh, almost what's it called? It's called like a table where it'd be like me versus my mind. And so every time I got distracted and followed my mind, I'd give my mind a score of one. And every time I focused on me and focused on what I wanted, I gave myself a score of one. And I found that a fun way of gaming, gamifying myself uh, versus my mind in that I would be like, okay, well, I really, really wanted to watch that show, but I chose to finish off that presentation. I got, I won. So I gave myself a score. And if you like gamification, then it works. If you don't, it doesn't. But I quite enjoyed that using com competitiveness with myself. Jay, these are like amazing these are great uh, ways for people to kind of like, tr not, not like they're like tips and tricks of how to kind of focus yourself that people have never, usually people come on here and say a lot of things that I thought that you were going to say, like meditation, because you talk about meditation a lot. No, never did I think you're going to go grab one of those hourglasses or, or show or, or talk about the gamifying of competing against yourself. But by the way, I think that, that those are like brilliant and easy to do. So thank you. I'm, I think I'm going to start doing that. Yeah, that's I, fun. And, and by the way, I love meditation. The reason why I don't bring it up is because 
I, I could have said it, and it is in the book, and, and I do love talking about meditation. I value it deeply. Uh, and if I wanted to share one meditation practice that I was trained in as a monk, uh, but today psychologists and therapists use it to ground people in anxiety, but we learned about it. As monks, we learned about it to create presence. So we were mm. slightly differently. But what it was, was if you feel distracted right now or you feel stuck in your head or you know, you just feel lost and confused and overwhelmed, what you have to do, it's called the 54321 method. So you ask yourself, what are the five things I can see right now? So I can see the sky, I can see the trees, I can see the ceiling, I can see the floor, and I can see the wall. And then I'm like, what are the four things I can touch? So I touch, I'm, I'm touching the chair, which is kind of like velvety, this chair I'm sitting on. I touch my jumper and I can feel the textures different. I can touch this table in front of me, which is a marble table. It's very cool. Uh, and I can touch um, the, the joggers that I'm wearing and they're a different material. So that's four things I can touch. Three things that I can hear. So silence for a second. I can hear some white noise. I can hear the light that I have here to help you with the lighting. I didn't want you to have a dark recording of me. I can hear you laugh. I can hear a little squeak in my chair every time I move. And so those are three things I can hear. What are the two things I can smell? So breathe in. I can pretty much smell the scent of this room and nothing else. Uh, and then what's the one thing I can taste? I can taste that I'm slightly dehydrated and probably need to drink. <laughs> and so that 54321 method is a great way of just being grounded back into the present moment. It's not complicated. It's really easy. You can do it multiple times per day. And it just brings you back into the present. And distraction is usually up here and not being in the present. Absolutely. Again, that's a great piece of advice because like people always say meditation and we talk, I mean, I feel like meditation is becoming a very, it's an overused way people are using it. Like they're using it in terms of like what, when people ask them that question, or when I ask them, people just to go to like, oh, I meditation, but that number five, four, three, two, one, yet again, is a good um, tactical thing that someone can use without doing the meditate the, the traditional kind of meditation that people are always you know talking about and i know that's a lot of value to the meditation i didn't mean it like that i just mean I it that you. i get you people you know people you know what i mean people are just like oh yeah because it's like a throw it's like a throw to right there's not really much other and if you ask them a little bit if you, if you delve deeper they're like uh, i don't know you know <laughs> so <laughs> you know no, I, so, I totally get you i totally get you and and i wanted to share with you more, um, you know, more unique or fresh ideas that I've worked with in my life to help me focus because I, I think all of these things help. And I love having visual triggers that help me focus. So yeah, even the frames in the background, like they're not just there because they look cool. They're there because when I walk into the room, I want to be surrounded by people that inspire me and energy that inspires me. And so when I see Freddie Mercury or when I see Robin Williams or when I see Kobe uh, you know, or Audrey Hepburn or, you know, whatever it is, who else is here? Misty Copeland and, you know, Rosa Parks. And so it's like, when I see this- Is this Muhammad Ali? I can't, well, you don't know what I'm looking at, but is that Prince, Muhammad Ali? Prince Muhammad Ali. Yeah. Um, that's Oprah's jacket sneaking in. So when it's like, <laughs> when I, uh, when I look at certain, some of these people and I've got like, you know, lots of other people, to me, it's like energy. It's like visual triggers have energy and they help me focus. If I walked into a room with a blank wall, I guarantee you I'd be distracted because I look right and I see a picture of Michael Jordan. I'm like, Michael Jordan was not distracted. Let's get back to work, right? Exactly. Uh, and, and you may have different visual triggers in your bedroom that 
calm you down that don't make you activated. You may have different visual triggers in your living room and pictures of your family. Like that's the point of visuals. They make you feel something. No, I, I agree. And I mean, I was try I didn't want to seem rude because I was looking before I was like trying to figure out who was on the wall behind you. Yeah. And I didn't want to seem like I wasn't paying attention. So I've been I was trying very hard to focus <laughs> on just your face. So I'm glad that you gave me those names behind you because otherwise yeah. I would be like curious. But um, and so thank you. Because uh, in your book, you I mean, you talk a lot about not a lot, but the chapter about routine, which, you know, I found interesting, because a lot of the things that you say are things that I yap about a lot, which is, you know, not to go on, you know, to kind of put some things on autopilot. So it gives your brain the ability and energy to focus on other things that are more important, like, you know, waking up early and wearing the same thing like a Steve Jobs did and stuff like that. Um, what is your routine like now? Yeah, you don't wake. Do you, do you still wake up at four a.m. like you did no, as a mom? Okay. No, I wake up at six a.m. I'm, I'm, you know, that's that's a time that works for me. I really value sleep. I sleep for about eight, eight and a half hours a day sometimes. So I try and sleep between nine and ten, and I'm up between five and six, uh, depending okay. on my sleep. I really think eight hours of sleep is like my sweet spot, and and I feel energized and mentally nourished and rested. And that's something I try not to negotiate with either. So no, wake up at 6 a.m. now. That's my usual time. Okay. So tell us more about what your actual, give it, give me a day in the life of you. What do you eat? Yeah. What do you, what you meditate? We know that. Um, what type of other exercise do you do? Like give us a rundown, day yeah. in the life. Yeah, absolutely. So I wake up at 6 a.m. every morning. I meditate from about 6.15 till about 8 a.m. every day. So it's about one and a half hours to two hours every single morning. <laughs> I've been doing that for 15 years now. So it's a daily practice that I've had for a long, long time. And then straight after that, I usually exercise. So from about 8, 8, 15 till about 9 a.m. is when I exercise. And then at 9 a.m. I'll have breakfast. Oh, what do you do? What kind of exercise yeah, do you do? So at the moment, if I'm completely honest, I change my workout and I've just been going on hikes every day. I want to be outdoors. I'm spending so much time indoors. I'm not, you know, before I'd be driving to a meeting, walking to an office. That's gone now. So I just want to have fresh air and look at nature all day. So I go out for like literally an hour hike every morning and it's just been absolutely beautiful to do that. But in the past, I've done everything from strength training, uh, just, just basic uh, weights and stretches and workouts, nothing to, I've never been too intense about building my physicality for a certain aesthetic. My goal's always been health, well-being, mm -hmm. strength. And so it, I've, I'm generally a low intensity person. I don't enjoy high intensity workouts unless they're sport. Uh, and so at one point I was playing tennis three times a week because I love moving to playing a sport. Um, mm -hmm. My general daily workout is, is usually a hike or it's some basic weights, basic stretches, you know, some mobility workouts uh, just to keep me, keep me moving and keep my heart pumping. Uh, the meditation includes breath work, visualization, and mantra. So three types of meditation that I practice that are all in the book. And I share exercises and activities. And then straight after that, I have breakfast. And every single day, I eat oatmeal for breakfast. So that's my breakfast every single day. Oatmeal with some berries. Uh, that's literally what I crave. Even when I'm on traveling and I'm in a hotel, oatmeal and berries every single morning. Uh, and then, of course, my day changes. It's meetings. It's um, it's interviews, it's my podcast, it's writing scripts for my content, it's, you know, writing the book. Uh, there's so many other things going on. So that's, that changes. Uh, lunch every day is usually 
um, something. I'm, I'm plant-based. So me and my wife are both plant-based. So my lunch is usually full of vegetables, maybe a bit of rice or quinoa to get a bit of get a bit of that energy in there. But it's a lot of vegetables, vegetable curries. Uh, obviously, I'm Indian, so I used to <laughs> love a love a good Indian vegetable curry, and that really helps. And my wife's a Ayurvedic practitioner and a dietitian and nutritionist, so she's my diet plan. Like my wife takes care of what food goes into my body and and make sure that it's right for me. So so she's the expert in that. And then usually I'll have dinner at 6 p.m. every day. Uh, and then straight after that, at the moment, because of lockdown, it's been very entertainment-based. So we're either playing games, we're watching a show, watching a movie, really relaxing and making the most of that time together. And then usually in bed by nine, between 9 and 10 uh, to really unwind. And my nighttime routine is we eat dinner at 6 because it's recommended that we eat two or three hours before we sleep. So that's a big part of it for me. We usually switch off our technology about half an hour to an hour before we get into bed, uh, which has really, really helped. And then in the evening, I'm usually doing affirmations and scribbling down anything throughout the day that may be affecting me so I can get it out of my mind. So I try and if something's stressing me or anxiety, I'll write about it, I'll type about it, get it out before I sleep. Uh, I'll also write down what I'm grateful for and I'll say these affirmations. So I'm waking up healthy, happy, and energized. I am waking up focused and ready to meditate. And I'm waking up with a desire to serve humanity. And so I'll say those to myself before I fall asleep because I believe that you program your mind the night before so that when you wake up in the morning, you wake up with the energy just as you, you set an alarm the night before and it rings the next morning. So you have right. to set your intention the night before, and that will ring the next morning. Do you do you always are you always this um, like positive, poly, happy, or do you, like do you just are you just naturally this person? Like, do you ever have a bad day? Do you ever get angry? Do you ever get mad, annoyed? Do you ever sure, for sure? Are you ever negative? Do you ever have any negative thoughts ever? I, I get all of those. So uh, mm. I I don't believe that there's anyone in the world who never has a negative thought or feeling. But what I learned from my monk training is that the difference is how long you carry it for. So mm. that's the only difference. The difference is not that I or anyone in the world never gets a negative thought, a negative feeling, a bad day. It's, it's whether you let a bad minute turn into a bad hour or whether you let a bad hour turn into a bad day or whether you let your bad day into a bad week or a bad week into a bad year. That's the choice we have. So for me, I have bad moments. I have a bad hour. Uh, I have had bad days and maybe a bad week, but I would never let it escalate beyond that. And so I don't like to let something escalate beyond what it needs to be. And when I think about being positive, I can be quite intense throughout the day. So if I'm focused, and I'm working on something like right now, I'm fully present with you. I'm fully here. I'm not anywhere else, but I'm like that everywhere. So if I'm then replying to an email and my wife asks me something, I'm like, I can't talk to you right now. Like there is no chance because I'm so focused in. And so I can be quite intense and laser like in, in how I work with certain things. And that stops me from, uh, you know, necessarily at that point, being able to stop, pause and Unless obviously something really important. I'm talking yeah. about daily things like that. Uh, but but my point being that I I definitely have emotions where I feel down or I feel sad or I get upset about something. But I've I've trained myself for years and years and years to allow myself to feel it, 
experience what it is, but quickly go to what is the root of that solution and then flip into action mode after I've understood it. And so I try and make that timeline quicker than, you know, I, I, I've been saying this a lot recently of like, we remember the bad times more than we remember the good times. Because when we win, we celebrate for a day, but when we lose, we cry for a month. And like when something bad happens, you literally complain about it all the time. You vent about it all the time. You tell everyone, you go on about it. Whereas when something goes well, you're just like, oh yeah, I'll call that one person up, told them about it, maybe posted a post on Instagram, and then you don't care about it. And we don't, we don't, and I'm not telling you to celebrate every night, but what I'm saying is don't amplify the negative. So I think we all have this habit of over amplifying negative events and under celebrating positive events. And I think creating more equality and equanimity in that is more what's needed. So it's not about doing either or, it's about actually coming to an equal place of like, okay, when something good happens, this is what I do. Something bad happens, this is what I do. Rather than like this complete discrepancy, if that makes sense. It makes perfect sense. You know, it's funny though, what's interesting about that is that it's very difficult. Human nature is such, I feel, right, that your brain is much more programmed to go to the, like, to, you know, the things you don't get. That's why people who are, people would rather, there's been all these studies where people would rather um, not invest money than lose their, if, they're, if they had a chance to win a million dollars or to invest, you know, a thousand, they'd rather just not because, you yeah. know, the risk of, of losing is much more painful, right? Yes. So, yeah. How do you, how, how could you, how do people even learn how to do these things? I mean, is it, like I said, is it, is it part of your nature just to be a certain way? And then you can, you can, um, you, you can kind of like get better at it, but you're already, your baseline is so, you are so good at that already. Yeah. And I think I would say it's trained. Like I would say it's all trained. Like what you were saying earlier, like, I don't think I was, I was born with some of it, but you're not born with all of it. And I don't think anyone is. And so I look at my wife, who's a very naturally positive person, uh, more than I am. And so- What? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, if you oh met my, my wife or follow her on social media, like she's like, I'm a bit, I'm, she would consider me to be much more sober and neutral. And, and, and I am much more sober and neutral in comparison to her. And, and yeah, when I say positive, I mean like, the way you do it is by training yourself daily with these habits, like when I talk about the need, if you, if you asked yourself and wrote down what you were grateful for every day, it's, it's like saying like, I'll, I'll give you an example. If you've trained yourself to spot beauty, then you will constantly find it. So if I look at your background, I can either look at it and notice the beautiful color coding and I love the books you have stacked up. You've got the like orange, that green and that oh. <laughs> and like, You've got the blue boxes there and you've got your podcast logo and it looks really cool. And, or if you're looking at everything through a critical lens, you would look at it and be like, oh, well, I would have placed this here and I would have placed this there. And, and so like most of what we see, and there's a beautiful thought by Wayne Dyer where he said that, you know, when you change the way you look at things, the things you look at change. And for me, mm. that's true. Like, you know, the example of like, we're walking around with, if you're walking around with red glasses, you'll see red. And if you walk around with blue glasses, you'll see blue. Now that doesn't mean that you are naive and unknowing to the negativities or the challenges of life. It's just that you're constantly seeking out opportunities. And I think for a long time, I've trained myself to do that because I don't enjoy looking at obstacles. Like 
And what I mean by not enjoy, what I mean is when you deeply look at an obstacle, you'll find the opportunity. You won't just keep seeing an obstacle. And it all depends about what you care about. Like I was giving the example uh, to someone earlier today and I was saying to a client, I was like, you know, imagine you were trying to get to your wedding day or the most important day of your life, whatever day that is for you, a birthday or whatever it is. And imagine you're driving on your way there and you come up and the road's blocked. You'd reverse, you'd drive around here and you'd find another route and you get onto that route and it's blocked again because there's roadworks. So you drive around, you reverse again, find another way around and you get up there and you get up the hill and you realize the tree's fallen over and you can't go. If that kept happening to you, you wouldn't just go, oh God, I'm just going to sit here and complain. You would just keep driving back around and figure <laughs> out how to get there because it's so important to you. And so my point is no one enjoys or it doesn't benefit anyone to wallow in their pain. But instead of wallowing in our pain, we can find wisdom in our pain. And that comes through getting close to it. So for me, uh, getting really close to and understanding what I'm scared of, what the obstacle is, is actually what helps you overcome it. So most of us have just not taken the courage to deeply address our obstacle. It's like if you're playing a sport against another team and you're scared of looking at their strengths, you're definitely going to lose. And, and so you can't just avoid it and be positive. That's not the point. The point is being positive means really deeply understanding what you're up against and coming up with a plan for that. No, I think that's amazing. Um, what, what, what about social? I have to ask you about social media because um, yeah, we were talking about negativity and I, it, there was a dovetail that I wanted to take with that, which is, you know, it's funny because we want to be all we all of us want to be more connected. But yet, you know what? Social media has been um, kind of making people less. Con dis it's been disconnecting people and people have become more competitive right. and which is negative. There's more there's more anger. There's trolls. There's all sorts of like negative things. Right. Like how I mean, and you're such a massive influence on social media. Number one, how do you do? Do you get sucked into that whole place as well? Or are you kind of because of your practice and your training, you've been able to step away. And because you also are someone who, um, you basically spread positive messages. That's not who you are. Uh, but how do people, do you feel that people are becoming too entrenched with social media? What do you feel about that? Yeah, I think the first thing I'd say is that if you're on social media and you don't know why you're on it at that moment, get off it. Like, you know, it has to be people yes. and reasoning. So if I'm on social media, I'm either there to post, I'm either there to support a friend, or I'm either there because I want to just check out what's going on with people around <laughs> me. I'm going to comment and like, but it's like, you're there intentionally for a reason. You're not just there because you have nothing else to do. And I think as a creator, you're very conscious of that. But when you're a consumer, you have to be conscious of that as well. But if you're a follower, who are you following? Uh, are you commenting? Are you looking around and seeing places you can add? Are you changing your habits? Like if you went on social every day and left five good comments every day, how would that change your experience of social media? Mm -hmm. If you went on social every day and you saw your friends winning and instead of feeling envious or comparison or jealous, you asked them, hey, how did you do that? What was it that helped you break through there? What is it that helped you get that article in whatever it is that they're doing? What we don't understand is when you celebrate someone's success, you get a chance to be educated by it, right? When you right. celebrate someone's success, you get a chance to be educated by it. Whereas if you don't celebrate it, then you learn nothing from it. So if I see you, Jennifer, do something amazing, if I was your friend, I want to ask you, Jennifer, how did you do that? How did you get your podcast to do so well? And how did you book that guest? 
rather than asking for a favor and saying like, oh, can you do me a favor and help me out and promote me? It's like, well, no, no, no. How did you do that? Like, what did you do differently? And that gives you an opportunity to learn. And the third and final thing is I generally spend very little time uh, in the negativity or in the comment section uh, because I feel that you have no context of the individual or the person who's saying it. Yeah, I you know that's the challenge. And I got this really good advice very early on uh, in my journey I, from Simon Sinek. And so I interviewed Simon Sinek probably like my second week in New York. I had a show on the HuffPost called Follow the Reader in 2016. He had a book, a new book out at that time called Together is Better. Is this small book probably exactly four years ago around this time, just before Christmas. And, and I asked him a similar question. And he said to me, he said, you know what, Jay, when I first started creating content, uh, we used to reach out to everyone who is negative about what I said. And we would write to them. We would respond to them. We would try to have meetings with them to change their mind and convince them and talk to them. And he said, we wasted so much energy and we never responded to the people who were actually spreading good vibes with us. And he was just like, and then we switched our strategy and approach. And he goes, from that day on, yeah. respond. And, I was, and I got that very early on. And I realized that I was like, most of us will read nine positive comments and go, yeah, 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 wonderful. Thanks, 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 thanks. thanks. And then you read the one negative comment and be like, oh my gosh, my life's ending. I'm going to do that. And it's like literally nine people just told you you're beautiful and you're amazing. Yeah. So hard and you're so smart and you're so clever. And I'm not saying to buy into that. What I'm saying is proportionately, uh, you have to check that. And at the end of it all, all you have is your intention of what you're doing and why you're doing it. And if you can look in the mirror every day and you're proud of what you're doing and you're trying to help others and you're trying to serve others, you have to ac accept that not everyone's going to like you, not everyone's going to agree with you, and that's okay. Uh, right. and, and there's no one in the world who is liked and loved by everyone. And wanting that is actually th the biggest mistake because – uh, it's expecting everyone in the world to understand you and your deepest intention. Absolutely. That's very well said, actually. And and I agree. You, you, have to, you have to be your own boss and you have to kind of navigate your own way and follow and, and do exactly that. I think that's exactly what happens. You yeah. can choose to follow someone or unfollow them and not to partake in that, right? Totally, that's totally. And feedback's useful, by the way. Like sometimes you'll read something or hear something and you'll be like, oh, actually, that person's right. I'm going to take that on. I'm going to take that feedback on. And that's useful too. Like you can always welcome that. But I posted this yesterday, actually. It, was, uh, it really applies to what you just said, and it's really powerful. Where is it? Oh, here we go. It was said by Abby Honnold, and she said, don't listen to criticism from someone you wouldn't seek advice from. Yeah. Uh, and, and, you, know, I, you know, thank you, Abby, for, for sharing that. It's such a, it's such a great message, and, and I think sometimes we take people more seriously than, than, uh, than we would in, in any other circumstance. Oh, absolutely. That's, that's the whole irony of this whole thing, right? Like these are not people, people miss, sorry, that's why the, it becomes very blurry. You think that those, the people on social media are your actual friends yeah. where, you know, you, you, that's where it becomes, that's where people get a lot of depression from because there, there's such a blurred line and a lot of like psychological issues that come along with all of it. But that's a hundred percent. She was right. Whoever, what was her name? Abby? Honnold. Honnold. Yeah. Abby Honnold. Yeah. Well, that was my feed yesterday. So, anyone, yeah, I'm putting it. Well, up. she was right. Oh, there. Oh, there she goes. There you go. Thanks.
That's perfect. Yeah. I want to. I want to leave with one more question, and then I know I'll let you go. I've been like kind of, you know, <laughs> keeping you for a while here. But what are just what are what are two, yeah, two key takeaway lessons that you want people to walk away with when they read your book? Just a couple. Yeah, the first big one is I want people to carve out time to switch off the noise. What I mean by that is. Five minutes a day, it could be 30 seconds a day, whatever works for you. You need to find silence, space, and stillness every day. That means you're not on your phone. You're not around a computer or a laptop or a TV screen. You're not around anyone else. You're on your own and you check in with yourself and you ask yourself, how am I doing? How do I feel today? What do I need? And just listen, listen to your body and mind and let them tell you. If I stop right now and just check in with myself, my mouth will tell me that I'm dehydrated. <laughs> my, my body will tell me that I'm feeling pretty good today. I exercised, I ate well, I'm, I'm feeling great. It's 5.15 p.m. You're having dinner in 45 minutes. I'm having dinner in 45 minutes. And my mind, <laughs> my mind feels pretty you know, clear. But the point is that when you take that stillness to just check in, every answer you possibly want about what you need and what you need to do will come to you from your body. It's why... Have you ever noticed, and, and anyone who's an entrepreneur or a busy business person will know this, that when you're busy, busy, running around, running around, really hectic, and then when you slow down, you then fall sick. Like you fall sick yeah. when you slow down. Why? Because you finally let your body do what it needed to do. So when you check in with yourself every day, you're letting your body and mind tell you what they want. And so that's the number one thing that I wanted to share. Find that space and stillness because all creativity, all innovation, all hustle, all, all of that comes from that. Like it all comes from that. And, and the second thing I'd say is that please don't wait to turn what you do into service. If what you do genuinely improves the lives of other people, it will be successful and it will make you happier than you could ever have been. Nowhere in my book do I tell people not to have material things. Nowhere in my book do I tell people not to be successful. I'm just encouraging you to do it for a different desire and a different intention because you'll probably get there quicker and you'll hold on to it longer. If you, if you want to be successful just to be successful, you may get there quick, but you may lose it quick. Whereas if you do something because you want to serve others and you want to improve the world and remove people's suffering in your own way, uh, you will find that not only will you potentially get there quicker, but that you'll hold on to it for longer. And when you look at the most successful companies, people in the world, they all have service as part of their daily mantra. And, and I can't encourage you enough to add that to your life because it will transform the way your children feel and your partners feel and, and everything else that comes with it. Are you sure you're 32 years old and not 132? <laughs> I'm 33. Oh, you're 33. Okay, sorry. No, 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 no. <laughs> I am 33, but I'm messing around. I'm uh, No, I. you know what? I just got really lucky, Jennifer, that I spent all my life, I've spent time with people that are older than me. And when you do that, you learn two things. You get to spend time with people that are far wiser than you are, so you learn a lot more. And you also spend time with a lot of people that made bad decisions, and then mm -hmm. you learn hindsight so i've spent yeah. time with people that are older than me that are far wiser that made great decisions and i've spent time with me with people that are older that are vulnerable enough 
who've shared with me the bad decisions they made. And when you have both of those, all you have is all the hindsight in the world to learn from, to make the right decisions and make the right choices. And, you know, I'm, I'm just glad that I had that in my life. And that's all I'm trying to do with the work I do is expose people to ideas that can help them do that. And yeah, maybe I'm a, maybe I'm an old soul and maybe I'm, you know, starting a, uh, an old path in this life. But, uh, you know, I'm just really grateful to my mentors and guides and teachers that I've had along the way. Well, I, I definitely see why you're so popular. Like genuinely, I do. You are very gracious and um, you just you're you really are a delight. And your book is called Think Like a Monk. And I really genuinely am saying this from the bottom of my heart. This is a great book. It's a how-to manual. You can use it for like just life lessons. And I so appreciate you being on this podcast, Jay. Thank you so much. No, thank you so much. This was a lot of fun and I loved having this conversation and thank you for asking me so many different and unique questions. This was very, it was a very, uh, it was a very different conversation to a lot of the ones I've had. And I, I congratulate you on, you know, your amazing interview skills for having done that. I've done so many interviews. So to be able to do that is, is really special. And I really enjoyed this conversation and thank you so much for taking your time to, to research and to read and, and everything you did to prepare for this. And, I'm really, really glad with how it went. So thank you so much. And again, I appreciate all your lovely words and, and I'll try my best to, to keep trying to keep on track with those. So thank you so much. Absolutely. I really mean them. And I'm just going to say goodbye. And then can you hold on for one second? Sure. All right. All right. So we're, I'm going to ask the most obvious question. I'm going to say what I have to say to everyone. Where can people find you? Like they don't know, but <laughs> can you please just say it for us? Yeah, sure. So I'm Jay Shetty on Instagram, on YouTube and Facebook. Uh, you can find me everywhere. You can find my podcast On Purpose on iTunes and Spotify. And you can find my book on thinklikeamonkbook.com. Uh, those are the best places to find me. I want to say another shout out to Maureen. Uh, <laughs> Uh, oh, good well, for you. Uh, uh, sending you lots of love, Maureen. So thank you so much. Thank you. You're amazing. Habits and hustle. Time to get it rolling. Stay up on the grind. Don't stop. Keep it going. Habits and hustle from nothing into something. All out. Hosted by Jennifer Cohen. Visionaries. Tune in. You can get to know them. Be inspired. This is your moment. Excuses. We ain't having that. The Habits and Hustle podcast. Powered by Habit Nest. This episode is brought to you by the Yap Media Podcast Network. I'm Hala Taha, CEO of the award-winning digital media empire, Yap Media, and host of Yap Young and Profiting Podcast, a number one entrepreneurship and self-improvement podcast where you can listen, learn, and profit. On Young and Profiting Podcast, I interview the brightest minds in the world, and I turn their wisdom into actionable advice that you can use in your daily life. Each week, we dive into a new topic like the art of side hustles, how to level up your influence and persuasion, and goal setting. I interview A-list guests on Young and Profiting. I've got the best guests, like the world's number one negotiation expert, Chris Voss, Shark, Damon John, serial entrepreneurs, Alex and Layla Hermosi, and even movie stars like Matthew McConaughey. There's absolutely no fluff on my podcast, and that's on purpose. Every episode is jam-packed with advice that's gonna push your life forward. I do my research, I get straight to the point, and I take things really seriously which is why I'm known as the podcast princess and how I became one of the top podcasters in the world in less than five years. Young and Profiting Podcast is for all ages. Don't let the name fool you. It's an advanced show. As long as you want to learn and level up, you will be forever young. 
So join Podcast Royalty and subscribe to Young and Profiting Podcast, or Yap, like it's often called by my Yap fam, on Apple, Spotify, CastBox, or wherever you listen to your podcasts.